It's so easy to fall into this trap and to believe this lie. If it's good, it's from God. If it's hard and causes some suffering, it can't be from God. And that's just not true. And it's important we don't fall into that trap. You know what? We, we forget this. We, we forget Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We forget that God causes all things to work together for good. The hard things, the, the, the really challenging things, the painful things, and the good things. I mean, God certainly does good things too. I, you know, I learned the truth of this one day. I was um, baking a cake. I mean, I know that sounds kind of cliche. One day I was baking a cake. I mean, but really, I was baking a cake. And it's this, uh, we have this cake in our family. It's kind of, you know, long family recipe, all that. It's called Mississippi Mud Cake. And it's a, kind of a scratch chocolate cake um, that w- as soon as it comes out of the oven, you, you just slather it down with, with marshmallow cream. And that marshmallow cream just seeps down in that chocolate. Then you, you get this chocolate icing that you put on top of it. And, and it's kind of thick chocolate icing. Not quite like fudge, but almost. And, and so when you bite it, what you get is this instant icing, gooey marshmallow cream, moist chocolate cake with a little crunch of pecan. I mean, it's just... Bless it. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, so I'm making one of those cakes one day. And uh, so I put some flour in and I put some eggs in and some sugar and vanilla. I remember when I was a kid one time, I thought, man, that smells so good. It must taste wonderful. Terrible. Nasty, right? I mean, gnarly stuff. So I'm making this cake, and, and the Lord just started teaching me the truth of Romans 8, 28. Flour by itself is terrible. You would, you would never eat flour, right? I mean, you're not going to eat a raw egg. You're not going to drink vanilla. Cocoa, I mean, just bitter, nasty stuff. I mean, but you mix all of that together. Dump some pecans in there. Throw it in the oven for 30 minutes at 350. It is amazing. You see, God takes the hard things, the nasty things, the painful things, and some good things like sugar, and he mixes them all together, and he causes all things to work together for something really good. His purpose for our life. But it requires some of those hard things. You know, not only is suffering hard things part of God's plan, suffering is often necessary for us to faithfully trust and follow God's plan. William Henry Ward said, For every achievement, there's a price. For every goal, there's an opponent. For every victory, there's a problem. For every triumph, there's a sacrifice. So today... um, We're going to see that God's plan often includes hard, painful things where we suffer. But ultimately, his grace is greater than the hard things that we face. 
Um, so we're going to continue our study of the book of Acts. Um, we're going to find Paul in some precarious situations. But let me remind you something that Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He said, for me to live means living for Christ, and dying is even better. I mean, we just don't really think about life that way, but we should. Uh, for me to live means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. You know what Paul's saying? God has a plan for our life here on earth, and we can trust him no matter what that plan brings because ultimately his plan for every believer is the glory of heaven. Um, That's why Paul said to the Philippians, be confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So God has a plan. And you can be absolutely confident, even when life gets hard, even when life brings pain, even when life brings suffering, that God is faithful to complete this plan, even through those hard things, because one day, man, it's going to be Christ Jesus in glory. So let's continue our study of the book of Acts, and um, we're going to see what we can learn about faithfully trusting God's plan. Now, let me kind of give you some context, just remind you where we're at. So Paul has gone to Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit had guided him and said, go to Jerusalem, and then you're going to end up in Rome, and you're going to suffer a lot, and you're going to be jailed, and ultimately, you know, it's probably going to cost you your life. But he was faithful about all of that, doing all of that. So he goes to Jerusalem. When he gets there, um, they go over to the, uh, the temple, and they're kind of doing some religious ceremony stuff. And they start, man, just blowing up about Paul. Hey, that's that guy. That's that guy who says our Jewish traditions are nonsense. That's that. Hey, we need to get him. And so this big riot starts. Well, just next to the the temple court there was a Roman garrison. And the commander of the Roman garrison hears all this uproar. He takes a bunch of Roman soldiers over there. And they start dragging Paul out of there. And then Paul asks, well, can I speak to the crowd? And he does. And when he began to speak, they got even madder. Kill him, kill him. So so then the, the commander finds out he's a Roman citizen. And he's like, oh, no, man. You know, because now we're really obligated to protect him. So he takes him back to the garrison there, the fortress, to protect him. So then the next day, the Jewish leader said, we, you know, we want to talk to him. So they go and talk to him. And, man, it becomes this big ordeal. And uh, he said, man, I don't know what I'm going to do with this guy. So he takes him back to the fortress. Then that night, Paul's nephew comes to the fortress and says, hey, they're going to want to meet with you again, but it's a trap. There are 40 Jewish zealots just waiting to kill Paul if you take him back there. And that's where we pick up. And we're going to see how God faithfully trusts, I mean, how Paul faithfully trusts God's plan and how we can. So when we faithfully trust God's plan, here's the first thing, write this down. God protects us in unlikely ways. Acts 23, 23. Then the commander called two of his officers and ordered get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at nine o'clock tonight because they're going to avoid this trap. Um, Also take 
20 spearmen and 70 mounted troops. Provide horses for Paul to ride and get him safely to Governor Felix. I mean, Paul, man, he's used to walking everywhere he goes. He just got upgraded from coach to first class. I mean, he's riding horses. He's got protection. So what is this? This is just Paul had the protection of 470 Roman soldiers. It's God protecting Paul in an unlikely way. Verse 25. Then he wrote this letter to the governor from Claudius Lysias, that was the commander there at the fortress, uh, to his excellency, Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by some Jews, and they were about to kill him uh, when I arrived with the troops, and we learned that he was a Roman citizen, so I removed him to safely. Then I took him uh, to their high council to try to learn the basis of the accusations against them. I soon discovered that the charges were uh, something regarding their religious law, certainly nothing worthy of imprisonment or death. Verse 30. But when I was informed of a plot to kill him, I immediately sent him on to you. I have told his accusers to bring their charges before you. So that ends the letter. Verse 31. So that night... As ordered, the soldiers took Paul as far as Antipas. They returned to the fortress the next morning while the mounted troops took him on to Caesarea. When they arrived in Caesarea, they presented Paul and the letter to Governor Felix. He read it and then asked Paul what province he was from. Cilicia, Paul answered, verse 35. I will hear your case myself when your accusers arrive, the governor told him. Then the governor ordered him kept in prison at Herod's headquarters. So now, not only does he have the protection of Roman soldiers, Paul had the protection of Roman authority. It's God protecting him in unlikely ways. You know, some God, sometimes God protects people in supernatural ways. Um, You see that all over the Bible. I mean, God, boom, shut the mouth of the lions. Daniel was protected. Jesus is out on the Sea of Galilee, storms raging. The disciples are saying, we're going to die, we're going to die. He just stands up and says, peace, be still. Waters are clear, crystal clear. Sometimes God does that. But sometimes God protects us in natural but unlikely ways. I mean, here, God uses Paul's Roman citizenship to protect him from the Jewish leaders. I'm sure the irony of all that wasn't lost on Paul. I mean, he used to be a Jewish leader. He hated all things Rome and all things Jesus. He believed Messiah would come to deliver Israel from Rome, but not die on a cross. That that wasn't Messiah. Now, he's an apostle of Jesus and surrendered his life to preach the good news of the kingdom, and he is preaching the gospel to the very Gentiles he once despised, and God is using his Roman citizenship to protect them. It's pretty unlikely. It's what God did. I promise you, I promise you, God 
protects you in ways you don't understand and are often even unaware of. Psalm 34 is probably my favorite psalm in the Bible. I love verse 7. It says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and deliver him. I promise you, God is doing things you don't see all the time. A couple years ago, um, I was driving over here to the church, and there was this big storm. I mean, man, wind is really getting up, and, and man, trees are kind of coming down. Everywhere. But I pull up in the driveway. Now, that was before we started construction on the front of the building. And I would always park right there in front of the building. And then just, I thought, well, man, I'll just pull in there and zip into the church. And so I actually pulled in and then just stopped. I'm going to go over here and park under the canopy at the cafe. I've never done that, ever. Get out of my car, walk down the hall. By the time I got to the front of the building, a giant, the biggest oak tree we had on the front yard. Fell down, boom, exactly where I would have parked. Was that God protecting me? You bet it was God protecting me. Well, was that an angel kind of nudge me? I don't know. But here's what I know. It's happened to you too, if you really think about it. If you would have just been somewhere five minutes later or five minutes sooner, there would have been a great crash or there would have been something. Or, you know, if you really think about your life as a believer, I promise you God has protected you in very unlikely ways often when you were even unaware of it. That is why we faithfully trust and obey God's plan. He protects us. Here's another thing. When we faithfully trust God's plan, now th this, is, th this is hard. It's hard to even say, but it's 100% true. God allows us to suffer hard things. We really don't think about that much in our life, that God allows suffering. The suffering actually comes from God. Acts 24, verse 1. Five days later, Ananias, the high priest, arrived with some of the Jewish elders and the lawyer, Titullius, to present their case against Paul to the governor. So uh, the Roman commander, he kind of fools their plan, sends Paul to Caesarea, and then he said, if you want to if you want to bring charges, you're going to have to go to Caesarea to do it. So Ananias, these guys show up with their lawyer. And here's what he says, verse 2. Uh, when Paul was called in, Tertullius presented the charges against Paul in the following address to the governor. Your excellency, you have provided a long period of peace for us Jews and with foresight have enacted reforms for us. For all of this, we are very grateful to you. That's a lie. I mean, the Jews hated all those Roman uh, things, man. I mean, you know, people like that, they're just kind of buttering somebody up, you know, and you're watching it and you're just going, Bleh. that's kind of what's going on here. Verse four, but I don't want to bore you. So please give me your attention for only a moment. We have found this man to be a troublemaker uh, who is constantly stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the cult known as the Nazarenes. Furthermore, he was trying to desecrate the temple when he was arrested. You can find out the truth 
of our accusations by examining him yourself. Uh, then the other Jewish, uh, the other Jews chimed in, declaring that everything Tertullius said was true. I mean, you get that, man. He's saying he did this, he did this, and they're all going, "That's right, that's right, get him." So Tertullius's argument basically was: Paul was a world famous troublemaker. Wrong. Paul was a leader of a dangerous anti-Roman cult. Wrong. Paul even tried to desecrate the Jewish temple. Wrong. All of those things were absolutely wrong. He's making them up. Paul was accused of doing things he didn't do. But you know what the result of all that was? He spent two years in prison in Caesarea... He traveled to Rome under guard. While he was traveling, he was in a pretty serious shipwreck, almost died. Finally, he gets to Rome where he spends the rest of his life in prison until he is ultimately executed. Hmm. Now, you'd think Paul would have been a little angry, maybe a little bitter, questioning God. God, why are you letting all this happen? But it wasn't his attitude at all. In fact, you remember back in Acts 20, um, God, through the Holy Spirit, kind of let him know what was coming. Uh, I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. I mean, there it is. Uh, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So he kind of knew what was coming. He wasn't surprised. But you'd think, yeah, but he didn't even do these things. He spent the rest of his life in jail. It seems a little unfair. That didn't seem very just. But while Paul was in jail in Rome, the same Holy Spirit that said, in city after city you're going to suffer, the same Holy Spirit told him he would suffer, inspired him to write seven of our New Testament books during that period of time. Think God used that? In the book of Philippians that he wrote while he was there, we get kind of a clear picture of what Paul's attitude was that all had happened to him. Look what he says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest uh, that my imprisonment is for Christ. So, so the imperial guard was like Caesar's personal guard. It's called the Praetorian Guard. And basically, Paul was a house prisoner there, and he was chained to one of these guys 24-7. Now, Paul could have said, I'm chained one of these dirty Romans. No, you know what he thought? Well, he's chained to me. I got a captive audience. He's going to hear the gospel. And so they start getting saved, and pretty soon they all know, man, he is all about Jesus. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are more bold to speak the word without fear. So God used all of that. In fact, it was necessary to fulfill God's plan for Paul's life. But it's so easy to fall into the trap, believe the lie. If it's good, it's from God. 
If it's hard and causes suffering, it can't be from God. A.W. Tozer said, It is doubtful that God can use anyone greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Powerful words. You see, not only is suffering hard things a part of God's plan, often they are necessary for us to faithfully trust and fulfill God's plan. You see, when you suffer, when you suffer the pain of heartbreak and despair, God isn't distant. He is near to comfort us and to teach us during this hard time of suffering. When we suffer, you know, I I hear this all the time. And it's always amazing to me how many women suffer with this and never say a word. Women who suffer the pain of infertility. And you get a monthly reminder of the pain and you feel broken. And it seems like everyone else on planet earth is pregnant except you. But God's not distant. He is near to comfort you and teach you in the suffering. When you suffer the pain of someone you love dying, God isn't distant. God is near to teach us and comfort us in ways he can't teach us when life is great. See, not only is suffering hard things a part of God's plan, often suffering is necessary for us to faithfully trust and obey God's plan because we learn things in the pain, in the suffering, that we can't learn any other way. One more thing about trusting God's plan. God teaches us to rely on his grace. So years before Paul stood before uh, this uh, Roman governor and these Jewish leaders, years before that happened, he had already suffered tremendously so many things, and he wrote these words, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. Well, stop right there um, because it needs a little explanation. I mean, God, God had uh, really used Paul in amazing things and, and revealed incredible things to him. In fact, Paul gave us a little glimpse of one of them in 2 Corinthians 12. Look what he said. Uh, I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up in the third heaven 14 years ago. There's a third heaven is first heaven is our atmosphere. Second heaven is outer space. Uh, Third heaven is where God is. And so 14 years prior to power, he said, man, I just got beamed up. I mean, look look what he said. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes. Only God knows whether I I was in my body or outside. He said, man, I don't know what happened. I mean, I just got beamed up. One atmosphere, two, third heaven. Whoa. I'm where God is. And then look what he says. But I know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. So by the way, great little lesson here. Um, When you're watching TV or seeing something, man, watching a YouTube video and somebody says, I went to heaven, let me tell you what it was like. No. You know why? Paul said, no human is allowed to tell it. You know why? Look, look, if God wasn't going to let the apostle Paul talk about it, 
I doubt he's going to let the newest guy on the New York Times bestseller list. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Because heaven is such an incredible, amazing place. Human words can't begin to describe it. It's impossible. And so God says, I don't want you to talk about it. I don't want anybody to talk about it because human words will just diminish it. But I want you to wait so you can get the full glory of what heaven is. Okay, you get that. Back to 2 Corinthians 12. I will reluctantly, and then he says, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Um, Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me, to keep me from becoming proud. God had revealed so much to Paul. He gave him a thorn. We don't know what that is. The Bible doesn't say. But we know it was a messenger of Satan, and it tormented him. It never left him. It was always with him to keep me from becoming proud. So all that God had revealed to Paul, suffering came along with it. Keep him from getting proud. Verse 8. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. (laughs) I mean, three times Paul said, this thing that's always with me, it never goes away. It's terrible to deal with. God, take it away. No, my grace is enough for you. God, please take it away. No, my grace is all you need. God, please take this away. No. No. My grace is all you need, and my power works best in your weakness. God says you can't have my power. When you think you're strong enough to deal with it yourself. Hmm. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Powerful words. You know what Paul learned about the suffering and the pain and all that he had to go through? I don't have the strength for it. I can't do it. And God may be the source of it to teach me that I can't do it. And so I take my weaknesses and I give them to God and I receive his strength. Boy, that's a pretty good trade, isn't it? But you can't get it in your strength. Paul is saying, in the suffering, I learned to humble my heart, accept my weaknesses, rely on God's grace, and live in God's strength. You know, everything about that says, die to myself. Everything about it says that. 
Die to myself and live for Jesus. Die to myself and live for Jesus. Die to my junk and live for Jesus. But you know, we live in a world that says, don't die to yourself. Love yourself. It's everywhere. I mean, you hear it all the time. It's things like this. Oh, well, you really can't love anybody else until you love yourself. What a crock. That's terrible. That is so against everything the Bible says. It's not even worth talking about. I mean, you get that, right? The Bible says just the opposite. Not don't love yourself. Die to yourself. Then you can have the power of God in you, God's love in you, that gives you the ability to really love everybody else. See, you really, the truth is, you really can't love everybody else until you die to yourself. Because if you just love yourself, you ain't going to love everybody else. I don't know about y'all. When I start loving myself, I just want to love myself more. I mean, yeah. I just want to love myself more. That's why the Bible says, "Die." said, you get this, right? This is God's not trying to build your self-esteem. He's trying to destroy it and replace it with God esteem. So that your value, your worth comes from him. Your strength comes from him. Sometimes he's got to send us through some pretty hard things to understand that. But when we learn to live this way, we learn how to deal with the problems we face with God's grace that is sufficient and God's power to live through it. Anybody here have no problems right now? Zero problems? Yeah. You know why? We live in a broken world. All of us have problems. And because of that, we try and we struggle and we, and we just can't get rid of the problems. You know, in the system, God, in the moral system that God created, there's only three things he can do with our problems. God can take the problem away. I mean, God could just, cancer's gone. Here's the money. The relationship, boom, healed. God can just take the problem away. Second thing God can do is God can take us away from the problem. Just take us to heaven. Man, look, if you're a believer and God just takes you to heaven, you're never going to have another problem. And heaven is perfect and wonderful and glorious. That's why Paul said, I'd rather die and go to heaven. We need to remember that. You know, when people we love die, God didn't do anything bad. God did something really good for them. The third thing God can do with our problem is God can give us the grace to endure the problem. <laughs> but you know, out of all those three things, what do we always want? We're just like God. We're just like Paul. Take it away. Take it away. Take it away. The only good solution here is God. Take away the problem. But it's been my experience. You know what God does most of the time? Gives us the grace to endure. If we'll receive it. 
So here's the question. Will you rely on God's grace? Will you live in God's strength to endure the problem you're facing right now? Because the truth is, some of you are sitting here right now. Hard, hard, hard suffering. Nobody may even know but you. But it's hard. And you're trying. And you're not getting there. And you won't. Until you die. Until you say God here. And you receive. His absolutely sufficient grace. So I want you to do something for me. Everybody just bow your heads and close your eyes. Right where you're sitting. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe. You're one of those folks I was just describing. And it is hard. And you don't know what to do. And you are at the end of your rope. And you've been crying out to God to take it away, take it away. But God is saying, no. But what I will give you is my strength and my all-sufficient grace. If that's where you're at right now, I want you to do something. I just want you to do this as symbolically saying, okay, this is a changing point in my life dealing with this problem. If that's where you're living, I want you to just stand to your feet, give God this problem, receive his grace, and sit back down. Just do it right now. You're dealing with just stand to your feet. Wow. All over the place. Wow. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Father, you've just seen your children stand and say to you, I can't do this by myself anymore. And they gave you the problem. Will you right now, God, pour out your grace on them? And God, please, over the next few days, would you let them have a real sense of your presence and your strength to know your grace is all they need, God. Thank you, Lord, for being that kind of God. We love you, and we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's stand and worship.